Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, we have the man who heads up all of SDR over at the one and only Orum.io. It's Mr. Terry Hussein. Nick, why should people listen? Terry is a cold calling machine. He is cold. He's a caller. He's a machine. Well, he's not cold. He was a nice guy, but this was a great interview. If you want to get better at booking meetings using the magic device called the phone, give it a listen. He is a warm, a three, a two, a one, a warm calling machine. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, Pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there in the email, explain how ZoomInfo helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by ZoomInfo's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. All right, Terry, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. All right. Uh, Super excited to be here, guys. So, you know, number one is do your research. And I know that sounds obvious, but the prospect should know, you know, why you're calling them, 
why you're calling their company and why is now the right time to chat and that should be within 30 seconds or they all have they have the right to hang up on you there's a few ways to do this first account based research right any research that's at the account level that can be used across everyone prospect based research things like did they just join the company right were they at a previous company where they did really well do they know anyone are the one same school as you and the whole takeaway after that is and this is where a lot of sdrs miss this Put it into the CRM once, write it down, reference it on every call. Beautiful. What's number two? So number two is permission-based openers with a twist. They're great, but it's important to layer in the research that you have done. So social proof wins above all else, right? But as well as any other research that you've done at the account level. So it might sound like, hey, this is Terry saying at Orem. You know, I was doing a lot of research to hopefully earn this call. I saw that you were actually connected to my CEO, Jason. You're leveraging outreach today, and it looks like you're hiring SDRs. So I think what we're doing might be relevant. Can I share a little bit about what we do? And you can tell me if it makes sense to schedule a longer conversation. Beautiful, Terry. What's number three? Round us out. So number three is asking better questions, leveraging that research. If you ask a generic question, you're going to get a generic answer. Better questions better answers. So for example, if you're asking how are they sourcing candidates today, let's say you're you're leveraging or selling like a technology to recruiters versus how long does it take your recruiting team to source a hired candidate, that latter one's going to have more pain. They're going to tell you how many hours, but they're also going to allow you to jump into how they're doing that, you know, today. And so there could be a variety of different ways that you leverage that research. So for example, if I'm selling disaster recovery software, I might say like, "Hey, I understand you have an on-prem data center today. How are you migrating workloads into the cloud, right? That's how you ask a better question with context. So Terry, what's fascinating is what you're doing on your cold call opener is actually a mix of the two cold call openers that we typically teach at 30 Minutes to President's Club. The first is the permission-based opener, which is tends to be Nick's favorite. And the other is the heard the name tossed around opener, which is mine, where you lead with context, right? One of the challenges with the permission-based opener is if someone picks up the phone and you just say, hey, this is Terry from Orem, you weren't expecting my call, but can I get 27 seconds to tell you why I'm calling and then you can hang up on me then? Literally, they're gonna be like, okay, but I have no idea what you do. And now they're just like, all right, this could be rolling the dice and they could be trying to sell me a, a fried chicken for all I know. And so what you're doing is you're instead just adding, hey, I know your CEO, right? You're basically saying like, hey, I'm in the same space as you, right? Can I give you a reason why I'm calling? You have some creative ways around how to do social proofing in that opener. Can you talk about how you find things or what you use before you use the permission-based opener? Yeah, and uh, I love that segue because this is a tactic that we use a lot at Orem. And for those who are unfamiliar with Orem, we're a live conversation platform. So we're delivering instant live conversations that does allow us, especially on the enterprise side, to be very strategic. We will call along all different sorts of titles, including the individual contributors of our technology, right? Like an SDR, an AE, or even a sales ops person. And that's where we'll actually grab information, Armand. So we might confirm that they're on a specific tech stack. Or an SDR might say, yeah, actually, I'm spending three hours a day cold calling. And so you know, what this actually sounds like is, for example, one of my SDRs, Dave, on the team uh, crushed it on a cold call where you know the SDR manager had given an objection. And he you know understood, hey, I understand. like doesn't sound like you guys are mass dialing, but I spoke to 
you know, so and so on your team yesterday, and they mentioned that they spend about two to three hours on the phone, right? So if we're able to reduce that to 15 to 20 minutes, they have more time for other revenue generating activities, you know, that would be worth taking a look at. And, you know, now the SDR manager knows that, hey, this person has spoken to other people, they have the research, and they know the pain points. So they're not going to say, hey, that SDR is lying, they're a business person. So they said, yeah, actually, got it. So you can actually time, you can save me time. Got it. This isn't about making a thousand dials. This is about time savings. Okay, we'd love to chat. Terry, I'm curious about that. That first conversation, actually, like with the SDR, with the people that are lower in the organization, because I feel like most salespeople, when they're making cold calls, they're like, they're so focused on, I need to get the meeting. And I don't know if you're necessarily, are are you scheduling a meeting with these SDRs? Are you calling and just being like, hey, can you tell me how long you spend cold calling a day? How are you opening those calls? Is it still a permission-based opener? And then how do you actually run that cold call to someone lower when you're just trying to get intel? I think it's unique to us that we might run a lightning demo, like a really quick demo is the definition of a lightning demo with like an individual contributor so that we could build some sort of groundswell, but we don't have to. And the way that we approach it is exactly the same way that we would approach any other conversation. So we still leverage that research. It's mostly account-based because if you're trying to do personalization on every IC, that's just a lot of time, but using the account-based research. And then the thing that's a little bit different, Nick, is we always know what the objection is going to be. I'm not the right person. I don't have power, right? And so we're always in the process saying, hey, totally understand that you're probably not the one making the final decisions on technology or even you know, potentially taking the first look at it. My purpose in calling was just to understand if you guys had that pain. You know, you know, over here, I was an SDR previously at XRoll, right? And start trying to get into that IC, you know, thing. Like we're using outreach, you're using outreach. And so that allows us to kind of jump into it. And surprisingly, a lot of ICs are not used to getting called. The other secondary piece is what if you're not talking to an IC? What if you're talking to a director, but they're a tangential role? Like, for example, let's say you're selling recruiting technology, but you're not talking to the director of recruiting. Maybe you're talking to the director of engineering instead because that you know that there's an en- they need to fill engineering roles. And you're just asking them, hey, I'm just generally curious, like how long does it take for you to source and hire an engineering candidate? The purpose is not to book a meeting, as you mentioned. The purpose is to get the information to use for when you get to the right person so that you can give that context. And now you're having a business conversation and not an objection of we don't have pain. So let's say I am that like head of engineering and you and I have a three and a half minute conversation where I bemoan how much time it takes me to get a candidate recruited in. And I'm clearly frustrated. And let's say that meeting ends and I don't get you a referral, right? Like, you know, I'm running into another meeting and you don't end with me saying, Hey, let me intro you to head of recruiting, but you have some Intel and you, you are aware that there is clear pain here and it's coming from someone in the organization. How are you weaving that into, let's say now you go call Armand, who is the head of recruiting. How are you calling Armand so that he is aware in the first 18 seconds that, oh, this is legit? Yeah, great question. So what I would first start off with is like, hey, Armand, this is Terry from Orem. I was just speaking with Nick the other day. I had reached out to him because we really work with a lot of directors of engineering and help them fill out a lot of their roles. And after speaking to him, I realized I should have actually reached out to you first. But lucky enough, we did discuss a lot of the pain points. He mentioned how it takes about 30 to 60 days to source candidates, even just into the first stage one. And we actually help with that. So could I share a little bit about what we do and 
you can tell me if it makes sense to schedule the conversation. One of the nuances I like about what you're doing there, Terry, is I really love the phrase where you're like, I realized I should have been reaching out to you because what you're doing is you're saying like, oh, like I might've, you're, you're not saying, oh, I screwed up. You're like, oh, I actually had this hypothesis and I realized I was a little bit wrong. You're not this like seller with all of this bravado about how I've got it perfect all the time. You're like, hey, I talked to this person and I realized I didn't always get it right. I should have been talking to you. I feel like when you sort of admit that, they're far more open to have a conversation with you. Terry, I want to actually go back to the point where you end that call with the director of engineering, because there are a lot of things that you're doing that are super powerful in that handoff motion. My guess is you don't get to the end of the three or four questions you're asking them and say, uh, okay, bye right? <laughs> My guess is you're, you're asking for a referral or you're asking for permission to use their name, or maybe you want an introduction that they can forward. What are you doing to make that transition as smooth as possible? Yes. I'm glad you brought that up. I should have clarified. We are trying to push for the referral. And I always tell SDR is like, don't put work on them, right? Like this is why account-based research is so important. We do it once is I might say, well, Hey, Nick, it was great to chat with you. I appreciate this. I think our solution actually, based off what you mentioned, you know, might be a fit. This is what we do, short 30-second, 60-second pitch. Do you mind introducing me to Armand? Right? I see that he's the director of recruiting. Right? So you would go ahead and lean into that. And many times, like I look at our ratios, it's about one-third are like, no, I don't feel comfortable dropping the name, but you should reach out to them. And then two are like, yeah, like you can mention we spoke. It's a mix of you could mention we spoke. And also, like, send me an email, I'll intro. Mostly, like, I'll mention we spoke. And then what we do is we actually leverage the referral sequence in outreach that was created by Sam Nelson. It's one of the top performing sequences that outreach ever created. And we use it, you know, you're talking 60, 70% reply rates, right? So the email might look to you, Armand, if I don't get you on the phone, might say, hey, Nick told me we should chat. And then just a very short email. So to your point, there's a strategy around getting the referral. If not, can I mention that we spoke? If not, all right, I'll have to use that information when we get connected. So this is super important to note because what you've done is you've created a pecking order of what you want out of your customer. And that's sort of the order in which you're asking for things. So your number one preference is I get Nick to introduce me to Armand, right? That is your number one preference. But to your point, that's a lot of work. So what you're doing to minimize that work is you're saying, hey, I think I need to talk to Armand, right? I'm making it as obvious as humanly possible who I need to talk to next. And if you can't get that, then what you're doing is you're saying, can I at least mention our name? And you have a sequence in your back pocket ready for when that happens. And then the final and last ditch effort is if they say, no, you cannot, you're probably baking that all the way back into your account research that you talked about in your first actionable takeaway. And you're using that in every single cold call that you have moving forward. Do I have that right? Yeah, I think the only thing to note is that we're still reaching out to you in this case, right? And Nick at the same time. And so like we definitely want to target the ICP titles first, but we throw in the other mix so that if it so happens and the stars align that we end up talking to other people before that IC, that we've kind of built a groundswell. Sometimes there's cases where we talk to more than one person who both drop the same person's name, right? And so we're able to have that. To your point, like social proof wins usually in terms of getting into a conversation, but ideally they're just connecting with 
you know, the director of recruiting in this example out of the gate. But this is just an additional, this additional quivers that most teams don't do that could help you overcome the objections or get right into a business conversation. So Terry, let's, let's go through, you've had this great conversation with a director of engineering. You've had this great conversation with an SDR. You mentioned this referral sequence. I've actually personally never seen, big fan of Sam Nelson, but never seen his referral sequence before. You had a super interesting subject line that you mentioned. It was, Nick told me we should speak, right? Which is pretty direct. What goes into that first email and then the follow-up touches in that referral sequence? So in this case, you know, it might be like, hey, I'm emailing you, Armand. Nick said we should talk. Hope all is well. Nick said we should talk. I'd love to show you what we're doing in Orem and why Nick passed me your name. Do you have time over the next few days? Here's a calendar link. It is surprising to see that like that email gets, you know, roughly about a 15% reply rate, but because it lacks context, but many people then respond with asking for context and sometimes just straight out, straight booking time. And then next is like really just a phone call. You send a connection request. You have another call, usually using a voicemail drop. And then the secondary email, which has, again, like the secondary email, is just a reply to that first email. And it's just saying, hey, just make sure you got my first email. I know it can fall through the cracks. How does your calendar look for a quick call? During my conversation with Nick, and this is where this is automated. Typically, you put this research in ahead of time. You know, these were some of the things that we discussed. I have time. And then you put in your CTA. Well, what's really smart about this is where a lot of people, salespeople screw things up is they talk to that director of engineering and they have that three and a half minute conversation and they've got a bunch of notes and now they know they're going to Armand and they send him the subject line, same as you, Nick said we should talk, but they think that they have to include every minutia piece of context from that first conversation and the email ends up being like this massive wall of text and you overwhelm the other person. All you are doing, actually, you do have context. It's Nick said we should talk. And when you get them to reply, they are now opting into saying, wait, what really, what is this about? Which is much, much better than you including everything all at once. You're asking them to make just one decision, which is, okay, do I, do I believe Nick is credible enough to <laughs> that I want to talk to someone that he said I should talk to. Armand, you might not always agree with the people I say you should talk with. You're not asking him to make two decisions, which is evaluate Nick's credibility as a referrer of a you should talk with this salesperson and the message. You're, you're actually bisecting it into two different decisions. I want to ask you, Terry, about how you are positioning what you do. When you use that permission base opener and they say, all right, Terry, tell me why you called. How are you approaching that piece of that conversation? What do you say? Great question. So in case of Orem, right, they say, what do you do? I'll say, well, here, Orem's a live conversation platform. We allow you to dial anywhere between, you know, two to sometimes up to 10 numbers at the same time, and we connect you with live prospects. So now your SDRs are going from having a few, you know, conversations a day to having more conversations in one day than they typically would have in a week. And since you're leveraging outreach, we have very tight integrations. We usually see a 50 to 100% increase in the overall production of the SDR. All I'm by saying this to you, Armand, is that if you're hiring SDRs, the ability to, to 2x your SDR production without having to you know, add headcount is going to really help your company save money and also save you a ton of time. So I'm curious, do you have reps today that are driving revenue over the phone like I am today? You know, something along those lines. 
I'm curious, Terry, that's pretty different from what I've heard in terms of a call to action. A lot of times what people do is they say, hey, I know I'm calling you out of the blue. Here's my thing, et cetera, et cetera. Could we get 15 minutes so I can show you what this thing looks like next week, right? I'm curious, why are you leading with a discovery question, which is, I'm curious, do you have this problem or do you have anyone that's similar to our situation, ABC, instead of just asking for the meeting flat out? Because they could be disqualified. They could not be a good account. They could say, actually, like we're hiring one, we only have one SDR that we're hiring for. And currently, like, I know you did your research on outreach. We actually moved to, you know, Groove, which we don't integrate with yet, right? If the SDR had booked that meeting for the AE, the AE would have been like, wait, why didn't you qualify them at all? So I think we always jump into qualifying questions first, typically because those questions, as, as you notice, are more open-ended and then they can lead to business conversations and us can actually derive more pain so that we have like really good show rates and really good qualification rates. I think that question you ask is kind of cool because it's almost sort of like meta. It's like, I'm curious, do you have other people that are driving revenue using the phone like I am right now? Because it's hard for them to be like, well, cold calling doesn't work because like if you're on the phone with them, clearly you've made that connection. What do you do when you call a sales leader who's like, well, we don't believe in cold calling when there's almost like a, a philosophical conflict? Do you like, do you try to convince them? Do you just say, all right, whatever, move on to the next person? Like, what's your take on how hard you will try to overcome like certain objections versus just cutting the cord and calling somebody else? <laughs> Man, the number of VPs of sales or sales leaders that don't believe in cold calling, but their reps have a KPI of 80 to 100 dials a day is mind blowing. So the first thing that we always step back with is understanding like, what about cold calling do you not believe in? Right. Cause there's a variety, like what you want to do with the objection is, is first empathize. Hey, I totally understand. Like cold calling has fallen out of Vogue. It's a very difficult thing to execute on and not everyone sees value there. Like what parts of the cold calling process, right? So let's say it, it could be any technology, what part of X process, why, uh, why reasoning and get them to open up as to why they don't like it. And many times what we find is at least in the terms of Orem is it's not that they don't believe in cold calling is that the cold calling without connects is a waste of time. So having the rep spend three to four hours making, you know, calls to speak to no one is invaluable. But when I ask, well, Hey, if your reps actually get connected to the target prospect and they've qualified them a little bit beforehand, like, do they have a good conversation? Do they book meetings? Yeah, we do. But you know, I don't want them wasting time listening to the phone ring. So it's like, ah, okay. So this is where Orem comes in, right? And I've got an objection handle. Now on the alternative, they're like, we don't believe in it at all. And our reps don't have any dial KPIs. Maybe they're making 10 to 20 dials a day. We are better suited going after organizations that already have a calling culture. And we can always come back to them, you know, later if they, if things change, but that's where I would just, I would honestly DQ that person or the account. Terry, I want to talk about objections and I want to talk about one that's sort of timely right now where I feel like a lot of SDRs and BDRs are getting hit with objections related to the economic environment where like you call a VP of sales and they might even have some interest, but they're like, Hey, like right now budget's totally frozen. Like I can't spend anything right now. So sorry, not interested. How is your team responding to objections like that? So first I'll, I'll give what the normal objection handle is, right? Hey, we have no budget. It's tough time. Usually we say, Hey, totally understand budgets are constantly moving targets. This conversation is really about figuring out if there's a potential technical fit and if we can potentially achieve those outcomes for you. 
You know, do you have 15 minutes to take a quick look? So the goal here is like, we're not trying to sell you the technology. You don't have budget, but let's actually see whether or not you're a good fit. And then to take it a step further, especially for those that have a technology that requires all the best practices, you can always leverage the, we'll share the best practices so that you understand how to build your foundation so that when it comes time to start putting things on the house, it doesn't crumble and that you're ready to take advantage of acceleration. You want to be the person who actually knows what to do now so that they can execute later. Beautiful. Terry, we are running out of time, and so we got to move ourselves to the final question. And so the final question is this. We've talked about a lot of really good things salespeople should be doing. Now i got to ask you about a shouldn't. And so the last question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? If you have any sort of conversation or reply over email where you're gathering information, like putting that into the account notes or some sort of area where it's visible across the rest of the org, if all you see is F slash U in three months, that F slash U means something completely different to the person reading it. But I've seen reps even trip up on themselves calling, for example, let's say you spoke to the director of engineering, get a good conversation, and then you called the director of recruiting, but you don't have your notes in front of you that you spoke to so-and-so you left on vacation, you came back, you forgot, you could have easily booked that meeting. So what I realized is that reps do, this is a bad habit of not putting the notes that you had with a specific person at the account level so they can be referenced when you connect with other people. It's a mess at every organization. It's a, it's a best practice that has to be you know, really drilled in. Boom. You think you're going to remember it, but you probably won't. So take the 18 seconds to put it in and it'll pay dividends down the line. Terry, thank you for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Terry Hussein include number one, call people one level down in the management chain to get intel on the people who are one level up. Number two, when you do, before you get off that call, ask for the referral to the right DM. First, try to get that referral and if not, get permission to use their name. Number three, if that next person doesn't pick up the phone, send them an email with the subject line, Nick said we should speak. And then lastly, number four, take 
all of that intel that you get in addition to that account level research and the prospect level research and put it all in one page when you're dialing so you can constantly build your understanding of the account and use that as ammo in every cold call. Alrighty, Nick, how could people help us out here? Let Terry know if you liked the episode. At the end, he said, guys, did I do a good job? And I said, I thought you did, but let's let the audience be the verdict. So if you enjoyed Terry's episode, send him a note on LinkedIn, let him know, and we'll see you next week on the show. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, Pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.